0: Thank you very much, it's great to be here. Great to see everybody. And I guess I better start off first by congratulating Daniel McAdams for putting this together, Daniel. (laughs) You know, when we were uh, still in Congress and uh, Daniel knew I was leaving, everybody knew I was leaving, he came and suggested uh, an organization called the Ron Paul Institute. And um, so he deserves the credit. I get a little bit, uh, but he deserves the real credit because he's an organizer. And uh, anytime I needed something or had a question, I always go to him. So the, he he really does deserve a lot of credit. But there's somebody else in this audience deserves a lot of credit for a lot longer time than I've known Daniel, and that's my wife Carol sitting right down here. <laughs> She, she always claimed she knew nothing about politics, but uh, she was my secret weapon when I was in ordinary politics running for Congress. So I remember one time she wanted to, and some of you even mentioned it to me since we've been here, because uh, one of her secret weapons was, you know, they're doing, they're saying terrible things about you. They say you're for drugs and giving them to kids and... and it, Republicans and Democrats. And she didn't like that. So she says, you know what I need to do? I need to do a little old cookbook of the family recipes and take pictures of all the kids. I, oh, that's not politics. They want me to talk about the Federal Reserve System. <laughs> so she went ahead and, and did it anyway and passed him out. But after a while, I had to confess, that it turned out to be the most popular political p- literature that I ever had. <laughs> so, so even those kind of things helps you get votes. So getting votes is one thing, and it's a lot better than buying votes, let me tell you that. <laughs> so but that's been very good. You know, on, on Lou, I really appreciate Lou coming out today, and uh, he, he had to put up with a, a commercial airline, and it's, it's just great that he's here and uh lou uh we've known each other for a long time because when i was in office for <laughs> less than a year at one time i had three terms in uh, t- terms in the off in congressional office so uh early on i won a special election i was there about a year and uh, then I ran again. Uh, oh, by the way, that the, the time I lost after that special election, we lost by a hundred votes. And did you know that we had absolute proof they stole the election from us? <laughs> and but we won some court battles. But but anyway, I ran in seventy uh, in in nineteen seventy-eight, and I had a call from Leonard Reed. Anybody know who Leonard Reed was? Not too many, but. Leonard Reed uh, organized and he did what I consider an operation called uh, the Economic Remnant. He really believed in preserving the truth about, you know, economic policy and moral pro- uh, policy as well. and So he started the Foundation for Economic Education. And I got to know him in a short period of time, be, uh, you know, in the 70s and uh, I think he, he gave me a lot of insight uh, he, he talked about economic policies, but uh, he was correct on the policy, but his insight, to, for me, was tone. You know, how you talk to people, and how you win converts. And in some ways, uh, I don't, I've never asked Lou if this was the case, but in some ways, Lou followed some of the rules of, uh, of Leonard Reed on how you reach out to people and talk to them, and it, and it makes a difference because an aggressive approach to spreading our message generally doesn't work very well. But uh, Leonard uh, called me and said, you know, I want you to, uh, uh, I was getting ready to go back into Congress, that would have been in na- January 79, and uh, he said, I want you to talk to Lou Rockwell, and uh, he might come on your staff with you. And lo and be told, uh, Lou came, to sta- came on the staff, was chief of staff for uh, c- quite a few years, or three or four years. But uh, then, then Lou uh, had another idea. You know, uh, he wasn't going to live with a government job the rest of his life. <laughs> and so, so Lou says he had this idea of starting something called the Bezos Institute. I know, it sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit. And I have to confess, Lou, that uh, I, I steal credit. A little bit from you, because when I go out and talk about the Mises Institute, I always say, and I helped start it, <laughs> but that's a stretch. He is it. He started the Mises Institute, and if if education and the spreading of message and have the right literature, influencing new teachers and professors. Tell you what, I think Lou is the individual that I've known in my life to have excelled in that, and he has a legacy there because a lot of people know about the Mises Institute. He deserves a lot of credit. <laughs> well, Lou, I want to tell one story, and I know you'll remember this story because uh the breakdown of the Bretton Woods in 1971, that was a big event for me because it was all predicted. And Lou was sort of working for publishing companies back then that predicted the breakdown of the Bretton Woods and uh, gold prices were going to go up and we'd have trouble in the 70s. And all that came true and the Austrian economists uh, were, were correct on this. So, uh, you know, a lot of people right now, I shouldn't be talking about economic stuff like this because we have to talk about it foreign policy, too. But, but anyway, he, uh, the, the economic policies then were that, uh, in Belize, where it was stagflation, the economist was unfunded. What is a stagflation? How, how can prices go up and the economy is weak? Prices going up is a sign of strength. Just think, over the last 10 years, <laughs> the Federal Reserve has been working very hard to solve the problem of a weak economy by saying, what we need is inflation. If we could only get the prices to rise at 2% a year, we, we would have a wonderful time. Guess what they're saying now? If we can only get the interest rates down to 2% a year, we will save the economy. So, but, but, but anyway, uh, interest rates went up to 21% and they always said if interest rates go out, it'll destroy gold. Well, it, it messes around with the gold price and uh, causes a little bit of havoc, but that's understandable. So uh, but through the 70s, and I remember them well because I was following the economic policies, especially with the wage and price controls and all the monstrosities and prices soaring. And they were bad then, but bad news from me today is it's worse today as far as I'm concerned, and we have a big job ahead on what we have to do. So the... Uh, uh, It was probably in 79, uh, I was at a banking conference, and uh, it was at the height of that. I don't know the day and what the price was, but the price of gold was either in the 700s or low 800s. And there was a lot of worry about it. And we were working on a bill called the Monetary Control Act which was a vicious increase in the power of the Federal Reserve. So I had explained on the uh, Banking Committee why I was going to vote against this. And uh, Volcker, I know the way most people feel about bankers, and generally I do too, but if I had to pick of all the Federal Reserve Board people over the years, he was a more decent person. You know, he he wasn't... uh, uh, an aggressive person, and he actually, you know, when I was uh, talking down his, uh, you know, monetary control act, he exerted an invitation for me to go to breakfast with him. I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So we scheduled it, and um, the uh, uh, they said, well, you can't take, you can't bring your whole staff, but you can bring a staffer, and Lou was on the staff at the time. So uh, we agreed to go over, Lou and I went over. And we arrived at the Federal Reserve Board and we went into the room and there was one individual there and that was uh, Volker's personal staffer. And uh, we were on time and uh, a couple minutes early so we were gabbing a little bit uh, to Volker's staffer. Then all of a sudden, uh, Volker bolts in, six foot six or something like that, he came uh, he came over and i thought well i'm his guest he's going to come over and say well congressman paul i'm glad to see you you know what he did he immediately put his eyes on his staffer and he ran over and he says what's the price of gold <laughs> and i thought you know that is interesting they they know what's happening with gold know all this negative stuff about gold And uh, some people, uh, you know, have this debate on whether the government would be willing to rig and get involved in the gold price. And libertarians even split on this idea. Oh yeah, they get involved. They probably don't get involved every single day in rigging prices but long term they're capable of messing around. I mean, if they don't like what's happened, they just take the gold from the American people and then they rig the price at $35 an ounce for 40 years and make it illegal for pe- people to own gold in the market. So uh, they're, they're, they're willing to do it. I, my point is, I think they think more about gold than they would ever pretend. So a uh, short time before I was ready to leave Congress, uh, 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 Bernanke was before the committee. So I thought, well, I'll see what, I never pestered them about gold. They knew where I stood and I knew where they stood. But that, that particular day, I, 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 my approach in the committee was, and some people criticized me for this because I didn't do it by an in, in, interrogation. Ask him a question and go back and forth. Because if I'd have asked him a question, I only had five minutes. They would answer the minute and take all my five minutes, so I usually gave it my spiel. But this one particular day, uh, I was in this uh, attitude. I was seeing if I could get an answer from. Uh, So I said, uh, Chairman Bernanke, is gold money. And he, now, I, I don't know if I can describe this right because it wasn't what he said that was so interesting. It was his look on his face, <laughs> and all of a sudden, say he went. <laughs> and you know uh, that was three, two seconds or three seconds, and you notice there was a pause, and the pause, even if it were only fifteen seconds, that is a long pause, and <laughs> he waited there. He, uh, no, that was his answer. It's not gold. I said, "Well, why do the central bankers all hold gold?" <laughs> well, oh, he says, "Tradition. It's a tradition <laughs> they hold it. I said, well, "Why don't they? Why don't they hold diamonds? They're valuable. They can't you do that?" But uh, he didn't quite. I didn't convert him. I have to <laughs> confess, it wasn't. Him. But uh, some people who saw that remember it. But. Uh, they they know they know everything we know we think we know about gold and gold markets and all but they watch it they they watch everything and they think they have control But they really really don't, and that is why Bretton Woods broke down. With all the power and all, the market finally overwhelmed, and it had been overwhelmed for several years when they had, uh, uh, you know, two gold prices, and it would would creep up to $38, and and finally they had to throw in a towel, and there's been chaos ever since. And they always say, well, you have to have government so everything is orderly. If you don't have the government, it'll be chaotic. I think they have that twisted you know I think the market sorts things out and uh the governments can delay things and interfere and pretend and lie to us oh I I didn't say that they 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 will they will try to mislead you tremendously and, and try to fool the people. And a lot of times, uh, you know, their words are powerful uh, of the Federal Reserve and what they do and say has an effect on the markets. We, we, we know that. And uh, so even though most of, or a lot of people in the marketplace know that it doesn't really have an effect but they also know that everybody's gonna think it's gonna have an effect. So there was a, there's a snowball effect. And uh, some days things go up quickly. On the first reaction to this week, it happened. They react to a employment report, and, and you look at the first three numbers, and things go down. And everybody says, like, "Well, we have. What are the What are the investors going to do?" No, they they don't look at the big picture. Is what it is. It's a, It's not a daily thing. It's an instantaneous thing. And uh, those of you who are in the investment business and that can do the trading, I'll tell you what. Uh, Fine and dandy. Do your best and get, get rich and help our organizations do whatever you want. But i tell you what, I wouldn't be the kind. So I, I took this old-fashioned idea of that. Uh, before Bretton before Woods broke down, uh, I, I believe that Henry Hazlitt was actually right. In 1945, when they were putting this together, he said, it's not going to work. The problem was it's not going to work, so it, uh, it finally, finally uh, I did fail, but it's, uh, it's one of those things that people uh, realize it can happen, and it does, and uh, it, it usually leads on to the next thing. We're at right now at a crucial point, I believe, in, in our economy, and that we're going to have another revamping. Uh, in in the system, just as the revamping occurred, uh, you know, with the breakdown of Brenton Woods, and uh, it will be necessary. But I think because the debt is so high, and the government is so out of control, and the welfare state has gone crazy, and the, uh, uh, you know, the reaction to all these things and all the all, the, all those conspiracies that are true are coming to an end, and, uh, and people said there's, there's a lot of mess out there. But I'm not uh, going to spend my time completely on that because I want to go to another subject. Uh, I think what's happening now is, uh, you know, against the American people. It's a war against the American people. And no matter what they tell you about, I mean, we've heard some great lectures informed people trying to sort this out—the the Russians versus the Ukrainians, and the Europeans versus uh, NATO, and on and on. But it—it is—it is, uh, it is a, something where uh, the the uh, the war the, the war is really going on. And uh, it, it's causing this crisis, crisis after crisis, but always the crisis is being used to expand more government. And just remember, if you, you wonder what's, what's happening to liberty, you don't have to go and check and take a poll, find out what people think about the loss of the First Amendment. Uh, what they say, the, the only thing they have to remember is look and say, Is the government growing? Are there more pages in the Federal Reserve, uh, a Federal Register, or what's going on? And, of course, government's getting bigger, more reactions. The government always does this. So the bigger the government, the less freedom we have. And that's why we're at a crisis point. We've gotten by a lot, and we recover. Uh, You know, it's amazing that we function as well as we did after they literally destroyed, finally uh, put the nail in the coffin of our unit of account. See, in economics, you need a unit of account. And, of course, they got rid of the, uh, uh, the, the monetary unit, which was uh, a yeah, weight in silver and gold. But uh, I think the problem, though, is bigger than the unit of account on money, and that is the unit of account of our social order. You know, that n- nobody knows what right and wrong is. They may know, but they can condition themselves. We don't even believe in it. You know, we have a nihilistic society today that actually their, their philosophy is that you can't know what truth is. So we don't even try. And then you, then you, wonder, you wonder why we have the Nancy Pelosi's of the world running our, our, our government. And, uh, but it's a, it's a disease that they get. Once they go to Washington, uh, they become that way. They lose their soul. You know, they have no shame. They never feel guilt. And just think of the couple of quotes we've heard from uh, that famous Texas president that was uh, there for the East, all those far eastern wars. Oh, you know we can change, we can change the wars. Every time. Don't you know that all our treaties that we sign, we don't, we can change them anytime we want, but it's a secret. You know that uh, that that is known. So uh, it's it's a system. Now is this brand new? Has it ever been happening before? See, it's bad right now, and because the bubble is bigger, because there's more debt and, and more problems, I think we face a, a lot worse crisis. But this has been a wrong, I, I think that sort of came up in Genesis. Uh, they talked about evil and good and bad. And That's been around uh, for a long time. And uh, so and it's been up and down for, for many, many years, and a lot of people have died over it. So, They'll say, Ron, what do you worry about? It's been there. You just you just said, why well, mess around with it? You can't solve the problem if they've been doing this even prior to Genesis' uh, existence. They had a they had this activity, and there was always somebody there trying to sort out, you know, what 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 the truth is. And uh, right now we don't have uh, a unit of account. And uh, I think there's times in our history. I think the time I I, I think Christianity is. Uh, worked hard at trying to give us a unit of account. I think the founders uh, knew a little bit about it. They knew about it in money. And uh, they were a little bit more honorable than what what we have today. And uh, so I don't think it's gonna work very well unless we go try to get to the bottom of it all. And uh, does that mean that we uh, need to be smarter? Smarter militarily, smarter on economic policy? and uh, make it work better? No, you can't make it work better. One reason why, if there was a bill out and, uh, and 98, 95% of it sounded like it was tolerable, but they were, only t- they were only interfering in your liberties by 5% of the bill. And my, my thoughts were, well, if you do 5%, for 20 years, you don't have any left, anything left, so one of the things that just amazed me, the first week or two I was in Congress, uh, you'd go down and it would be a desk uh, where, uh, where you, their staff would be there to give you an idea of what's going on. But then they'd have a paper done, what is the bill number and whose amendment it is. But then underneath, <laughs> underneath it, they would have a list of uh, lobbyist groups here and a list over here. This lobbying list were for the bill and this group was against it. So the job was is to figure out which ones are in the district. And that's why that's why they, the, the other staffers go Oh, I have to do, how am I gonna satisfy everybody? And so their unit of account was, power and satisfying and staying in office getting promoted and raising money very complicated and i wasn't i didn't like that complication i just liked this idea that if you're going to take away one two three or four percent of my liberty with a bill and pretend that you're going to solve my problem it was very easy uh, for all of us to agree that's a no vote but that sometimes uh, annoyed people because uh I don't know if you, you remember there was a few occasions where I had to vote by myself. anybody remember that you know <laughs> so we we'd vote no, and uh what time we had a vote and it was for Cardinal O'Connor a gold medal. He needed a gold medal like I don't know uh he a very decent person because uh, uh you know I was hit hard. I was the only one that was voting I guess this gold medal so uh I he the uh, I, re- I remember I was on my way back to the office and the staff was 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 all, all excited. They said the New York Times is on the phone. And they want to know why you voted no. And uh, they I said well what, what did you tell him? He says well he votes no on all all this stuff. And they said oh we thought he might be anti-Catholic or something. They hung up. The story was dead. <laughs> they didn't want to they didn't want to talk to me at all about it. So it's it's I, I think. Uh, people go to Washington, and they do have a pretty good understanding what they believe in, but it doesn't last long, and uh, I, I uh, would help people get in there. Now, there was, have been a few that have done very well, like our son, Ram. He's doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and, Tom, and Thomas Massey. He's done excellent, and both of us campaigned for him. But but then there uh, then there are others. They're more numerous. They would tell us, you know, what they believe in, and at times we'd support them, uh, always hoping. But as I uh, sat in 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 uh, on the floor, and a new member came in, I said, "I'll tell you within a week where he'll end up, because the first week is tough. There'll be some votes, and you can tell once they give away. But the uh, the leadership comes and uh, they'll say, well, if you wanna stay in this office, you gotta do this, you gotta cooperate, you gotta be part of the team. Aren't you a team player? And they would go on and on and, uh, and they say, well, you, you can't even get on the committee that you want on. If you don't, you know, toe the line. And very quickly, you know, they, they go over and they're part of, they're part of the team. Well, um, you know, and, and then also, and also, they have to raise money. They, they would always say, well, the, the, lobbyists will, uh, the lobbyists will pester you too. Somebody said, well, why didn't you yield to the, uh, uh, why didn't you yield? Did the, did the lobbyists keep coming to you and say, won't you do this, won't you do this? I said, no, they never bothered me because they always knew what I was gonna do. So I felt freedom, <laughs> you know, that it, it didn't, didn't bother. I guess uh, some people, a lot of times, they ask, well, why, uh, how, how was it that you were able to stay in, in office You know this way, and I, the, the truth is, is, I didn't think I'd go and I didn't think I'd be able to stay, but when I first told Carol that I was gonna run for office, she said, what you're gonna do, uh, I, uh, this, this is dangerous, and it was right after Bratton Woods broke down, I was in the 70s, I said, I don't, uh, I said, why is it dangerous? She says, you're probably gonna get elected, <laughs> <laughs> I told her, no way. No way I'm going to be elected because they're not interested in that. Well, you, you don't get elected by saying that you don't even believe in the Santa Claus. You know, uh, things come up magically. But uh, it's, it's something that uh, worked out well. There was a time when it was very hard to... and and. Daniel has solved our personal problem because when I got out of uh, when I first got into Congress, or even before, I was interested in talking about, in particular, the monetary issue, and as it expanded, the military, uh, industrial complex, the war issue, and uh, and then uh, just uh, talking about freedom as a whole. And, uh, and they, uh, w- when we did that, uh, uh, the, 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 I could go to the college campuses. I was talking; I knew that was where the action was. Talk to young people, and so I'm always delighted. I was very pleased with what happened in the campaign, and uh, the campaigns. Uh, the young people responded, and they kept saying, "Well, why, why are you, why are you coming like this?" I said, "Well." Who knows? I don't know. I'm just speaking out. That was what Leonard Reed said. Get knowledgeable and speak out. If anybody wants to use you, they will. And uh, and I I was I was really surprised that uh, you know those 15 and out of those groups where I where we were with, meet with 15, 20 or 30 in the early 70s when libertarianism was just coming about, uh, you, you know, guess what? A bunch of them have worked for me ever since. You know, in the campaigns of the Libertarian, uh, and, uh, and, and they would get involved in the Mises Institute and learning about Austrian economics, and, and I am convinced that the work that Daniel's doing now, with a little bit of help from me, is teaching people that non-intervention in foreign policy is a big issue and we really have to keep working at it. You know, the, the issue of inflation is the big issue today, uh, just as it was in the 70s. And there's stagflation is back and all these things. But right now, the, the, the game they're playing is, uh, who, whom are we going to blame? You know, who, who's at fault? And, uh, and there's, uh, you know, the, the, the issue is inflation. When I say inflation, most everybody, including myself, if I read about it, what they're talking about is the CPI, the CPI. And there's price inflation. And then as I studied, uh, I found out, well, there's monetary inflation, the real source of our problem. And I thought, well, that's, uh, that's, that's important. I think we should make an effort to separate the two, monetary inflation, price inflation, and I came across something in Human Action I found fascinating, it sort of answered my question. Mises argued that uh, you don't want to do that. He says they do that on purpose. They, uh, they, What they want to do is they want to separate it, but you don't want to put them together and think monetary inflation has something to do with price inflation because you would not be, you, you know, uh, understanding and working on the Federal Reserve. His argument, the source was the Federal Reserve, so you can talk about both. But he wanted he wanted to include the inflation coming from you know where. So that that I, I think was an eye opener for me. You know, if we live in an age right now that uh, you know Nixon coined a word, uh, you know about uh, Keynesian. That the date he. Uh, uh, the, the date he uh, closed the gold window, put on the wage and price controls and did all the evil stuff, he said, uh, I guess we're all Keynesians now. And it's a famous statement. And uh, Keynes, and I use it a lot of the time too, but I think I think we use that name a little bit more than we should uh, because Keynesianism has varied its terms uh, and uh and we don't we don't fall we, we don't exactly follow everything Keynes-y, Keynes has said, so uh we look at we look at that and uh and i I thought, well, who's at fault then because I think ideas are important, and I think that the name that we should be talking about is Paul Samuelson. I think Paul Samuelson probably has created more evil because I see this as a philosophic fight I see it. Uh, you know, uh, an education, I see the, uh, the need for the Mimesa Institute, and I can see the need that we need real revolutionary change in our government-run school system. So, uh, the name that uh, I think uh, uh, we, we could start with, uh, how this came about, this, this fight's been going on for a long time. And I would say it started with Hamilton uh, and and Jefferson. You know, uh, Jefferson had a different attitude, uh, and uh, and Hamilton had one, and it's been going on ever since. And there's been a lot of ups and downs. Although we say we had a gold standard of sorts up until 1971, we we really didn't. It, it, if you want to date the downturn and the, and the spinning down of uh, the, of the dollar system it has to be 19, uh, 1913 you know 1913 when the federal reserve act was was passed and of course the uh, the other act was passed was that that little income tax i don't know why everybody worried about that it was just a little bit uh, <laughs> but then it controls our lives now uh, i guess it, when i go home and pick up and look at my mail Probably an envelope, if it looks, like, uh, you know, it looks like it officially has come from the IRS, that makes me about as nervous as anything. You know? Because it, who knows what it means, you know? because, because they have this strange attitude, it's this little twist on the Constitution. Their attitude is, buddy, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And that's the way it works. We all just go along with it, don't say much, except for people in a group like this, because I know you're sick and tired of it, and uh, we have to keep plugging away. So uh, we, we uh, uh, have have uh, the, the writing of laws now. But Samuelson Samuelson said one thing I thought was very very important. He said uh, he doesn't care who writes the laws. He cares about who wrote the textbooks on economics. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Because Samuelson's books, not tens of thousands, probably millions, and they were in grade schools and high schools. And he, he captured the universities, and they were all trained uh, to work uh, congenially with the Federal Reserve. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, well-known professors of the university, and they make a lot of money writing papers that don't make any sense, and they send them over to the Federal Reserve, uh, yet it's a collusion of how you can continue to distort uh, history and economic policy. But uh, that, that I thought was an interesting statement, and I think it, I think it really is true. So that, that, makes, that raises a question of on how one must use their energies and I think I probably accidentally fell into this idea that uh, that the political part, the legislative part, is minor. And uh, I, over the years, I would have some people work for me, and they were more energetic. so if the bill was down a couple percentage points from what I want, they'd want to write up you know detailed uh, amendments uh, you know to the Constitution to change it and it was it was complicated you had to sell your soul you had to beg and plead for them to bring it up you know it was it was not my my kind of thing so i can remember at times when somebody said yeah but we got to do it we got to do this i said i am not a legislator (laughs) i didn't go to legislate under that system but uh i was very much interested in uh education i was on the education uh, committee, which, which, which meant I abs- absolutely had no authority or influence on trying to do something about our education system. But that's, kind of, that's a big deal right now. And I see signs of hope with it, you know, uh, because of, because of uh, y- you know, right now, the good part of what we see is that there's quite a few parents that woke up and said, maybe maybe we as parents have a responsibility yes they do and they are and they're expressing themselves one of the things that i'm most happy about or very happy about it is the help that i've gotten from people in here for the ron paul curriculum and uh that that is uh, uh expanded with all that silly stuff with covid and i hope i hope it continues but i just love those stories where <laughs> where the parents finally got disgusted and they started reading those books do you remember the one time the one lady got up and started reading the book. that was in the library, and it was pornography, pure democracy. And, and, the, and it so embarrassed the school board. They said, shut up, shut up. You can't do that. We don't want to hear that stuff. And, uh, and then another time, one, one group of parents got together. They fired the whole school board in one night. And, uh, and that, that is power in a, in a positive sense, very positive, influence. And uh, that's why I and I see that, and uh, I uh, and I know about the the bad side, uh, the nihilists that can't even they can't even acknowledge that uh, seeking truth is uh, worthwhile a worthwhile goal. So uh, I I think I think it's out there. I think there's a natural tendency for people to have a bit of decency in their souls, and uh, and there's ups and downs throughout the centuries and and there's good, uh, good literature out there, there's bad literatures. there's been times when people were more peaceful and times that they're uh, not so peaceful. But I see the transition being equivalent to the size of government. Uh, they, uh, the bigger the government and the bigger intervention that we have, entangling alliances. Well, isn't that a great term? Stay out of entangling alliances. Guess what? We wouldn't have been in the Middle East uh, we wouldn't have been in, uh, uh, you know, Ukraine right now, and it's, to me, like it's entangled, and, uh, and we best just get out. And they say, yeah, but who, who would bring peace to the world? Who would provide peace? <laughs> and, uh, it, of course, that, that's a bunch, a bunch of nonsense. And one thing that really annoyed uh, some of my colleagues, uh, uh, and they were presidential candidates too, that I took took this position that uh, you shouldn't do anything uh, that uh, you yourself can't do. If you're not allowed to steal, why do you let the government steal from you? And that's what the government is. They're they're counterfeiters, uh, and it's fraud, and, and they can steal from your bank account not only Today they're talking about just taking your bank account. They don't. Even, they don't even play the game. Sometimes they can take your bank accounts, and uh, but but the stealing that uh, I think is so sinister because it's a tax. They spend all this money. They run up these huge deficits, and there's never any hesitation. Uh, Republicans, not, not too good. Not too good on, uh, on stopping the spending. And the Democrats, they spend, and uh, it, it, it continues. But if they can inflate, just theoretically, if you could double the money supply and raise the prices a 50%, uh, the people have lost half of their income. You know, uh, it's worth 50 cents on a dollar. And uh, the debt is being liquidated, and that is that is their goal. That was why two percent, the principle of inflating, and this non-total nonsense that they have—that prices going up, good; prices going down, is bad. And which is which is is nuts. You know, if you have a sound currency, the purchasing power of your dollar might go up. What's so evil about that? And uh, but but they they think if we could only only get interest rates uh, you know, down, because interest, low interest rates is good for the, for the economy, and they don't talk about the uh, unit of account, and, and the unit of account, you need the unit of account to find out what the price is, what the interest rate should be. So I admire the businessman who can go out there, not accepting government help, and still make business decisions on this. And uh, how do you ma- what, what good is it to know about savings and all these other things? It's all artificial and distorted. So we've, we've literally destroyed the, the market uh, economy due to the currency system. In the same way today, the, uh, uh, the, the, the regulation. If, if somebody just had to write one story about one commodity, uh, of course a, mo- a monetary commodity would be interesting, but how about the oil industry? What have What have they done with the oil? With all All these prices, where uh, Where we Where we regulate it, destroy our oil production. At the same time, we have to beg the Saudis to pump more oil. It, it makes no sense, and uh, I I don't know. Maybe Maybe that. Uh, You know, believe it or not, I'm the optimist. (laughs) So if if uh, if uh, they they see this coming, maybe there will be some change, and it'll be really super good. You know, in in the fall with an election, but that is not the answer. To me, the answer is the prevailing attitude of the people. If they say we want welfareism because the markets can't take care of poor people, they won't listen to this nonsense that the freer a country is, the more prosperity there is, the richer the middle class, as Mises talks about the middle class. He says if you do what we're doing to our currency, you'll destroy the middle class. And, uh, and all you have to do is look at it. But you know, the middle class I saw the other day, they are including people <laughs> making $150,000. They're middle class now. And because they, the, the ability of one number that I find interesting is how long would a family last uh, if they lost their job? And it used to be when uh, when people were more frugal and the money maintained value, They might be able to last a year, you know. They would have it, but now, you you know, the the devaluations go so quickly. I was talking to a group of businessmen the other day, and they were in international business, buying and selling products overseas. And uh, what they were buying and selling, I don't know, but it was industrial type of thing. I said, "Well, well, how do you how do you do the uh, how do you make the contracts on what you're going to pay?" Uh, I I said. uh, it used, used to be that uh, it, it didn't matter that much. Uh, it just, just it a day and six months you pay it, and you didn't have to calculate I, said, I remember in the 70s where you had to have it in your contracts, you know, what you do with cost of living. I said, how long, if you draw up a contract now uh, for, some, uh, for some many products you want to buy, uh, how long is that price good for? And he told me, one day. I, I just still can't quite figure that. How do you do it uh, as a business people to how to figure this out? You've, you've been, they've taken away the measuring rod. I keep using the example that when, when, they, when they take away the measuring rod in, uh, uh, in, in engineering, what, what if you had a yardstick that changed every day? You'd have a terrible looking building <laughs> and it would be unstable and it would crash it might look good for a while, and you know, and I think the Bible talked a little bit about building a house on sand and a solid foundation. Well, it looks to me like we're on a lot of sand, and uh, and, that's, and and the sand is starting to erode. So um, that that means well, Ron, you still haven't convinced me. You told me all these all these things, that you heard about all the scary stuff. How can you be optimistic? Well, homeschooling, the the Mises Institute, uh, the PTA. And uh, the natural instincts, if we can wake people up, instead, uh, and I think on our program, what Daniel and I try to do is, uh, sometimes the worst reporting is, I said, don't worry, Daniel, this is just gonna wake up another million people. <laughs> they, and they don't like it, they wanna do about it, and the answer is liberty, it's, there's no, no doubt about it. And I, uh, during my campaign, I kept telling the young people, I said, Actually, freedom is popular. People like to be free. And uh, some, and, and I, was, I was very pleased. Now, Daniel, he never talks much about his college education, but uh, I, I want to tell you, he's a survivor. <laughs> and, and I knew it, too. I knew he went to this school. He went to Berkeley. And look, he turned out pretty good. <laughs> so be opti- be optimistic, <laughs> Berkeley. So and uh, well, the, the really the best part of that story, it was my biggest rally ever. You know, thousands and thousands of people uh came out. So it's out there. The the, the remnant is there. You don't have to worry about waiting for 51%. You wait for a group like this. How many people do you represent? 10, 20, 30 per family? No, more than that. You don't even know. So, if you convert one person today, they might convert 10 people the next year. And I think we're at that point. I think there's some good stuff out there. And we try to pass that message along. And it's ideological and it's contagious. And that's, that is what is important. Ideas have consequences. And, and that's good. And I think. Uh, I, I well, I'm I'm convinced. If if this is a bad statement, I uh, tr- truth is the right side to be on, you know. And uh, I I recall people, uh, you know, when I'd campaign in the district, uh, I had a lot of people vote for me that were dedicated Democrats, you know? And I I would say, well, well, um, uh, they come up and they'd say, well, I, I there's some things I just don't agree with you on. Uh, but I'm, I'm voting for you. I said, why? He says, because you're telling us the truth. And, and how many people, how many of us in here could agree on every single thing? It would be a pretty boring world. <laughs> uh, no, the tr- pe- people want to hear, hear the truth. A couple young people came up to me after a campaign event. And they were interested in talking about the Constitution. And we had just had a brief uh, discussion of that in a debate and i took my position and uh but a couple other ones uh candidates said essentially the same thing in words you know yes we should follow the constitution i believe in a second about you know this sort of thing i said but they were interested in what i was saying and they were asking me questions i said with i pointed to i said they said the same thing didn't they and he said yeah because they weren't telling the truth we didn't believe them and um, th- this is why the, the remnant is so important. There's, I, 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 the remnant has generally been associated with a religious remnant, and I believe in that, but there's also the remnant of philosophy of freedom and liberty, and they come together. You know, they come together. It's maintaining the truth. This is why the crisis of bankruptcy, financial, is a little bit easier to explain, you know, than the than the moral bankruptcy. But I tell you what, if you are don't, if you feel like you're not well informed about moral bankruptcy, come visit Washington D.C. for a day or two. <laughs> you, you might figure out what's going on. No, it, it is. It's an issue like that uh, that I, that is so important. But uh, I I think we're on the side of uh, of freedom. I think freedom should be fun and already I believe I've sensed that people in this room have met other people and you enjoy it uh, because uh, we, we don't know exactly what the future will bring. What we do know that if nobody participates in something they strongly believe in and believe they're on the right track and follow some of the basic rules like do your best to understand it and I really think the big, big difference, and this is something that I gave credit to Leonard Reed, was the tone that you use makes a big difference. And I've seen a lot of aggressiveness in people saying, you, you don't know what you're talking about, especially if you get hear stuff on the television, or something like that. That, that is not the way to do it. Uh, my, one of the techniques that I've tried to use over the years has been instead of, you know, presenting my case, and this is the reason you ought to believe in it, is uh, is a- ask a question uh, like, "Mr. Bernanke is gold money?" <laughs> you, you you might get more attention that way, but now, uh, long term, I am uh, b- b- very uh, very optimistic and and cautious. But I do believe that we have to have personal goals, and the personal goals mean to uh, seek those things that you believe are right and true. And I think that uh, a personal goal of mine, uh, this has to be mine, I, I can't export it, and that is we all should use our abilities. We all should seek excellence, and this sort of ir- irons out the problems were well, we don't want any uh, we, we have to you know have diversity bring everybody together and uh, and be an army of, of bureaucrats or something they they, they have the, the but seeking excellence and being personal and individual is what life is all about but this whole idea you know these people who preach diversity is very annoying to me because if you want a truly diverse society and a productive society and a happy society we all should be very diverse assuming this responsibility is seeking excellence and making a definition and seeking virtue that i think then we can have a free society that will generate a lot of support there's no reason in the world that with the number of people here participating and they say yeah but i i don't even give speeches or somebody everybody has something that they can do and so many times you say well i'm only going to talk to one one person we're talking to those 10 or 15 30 years ago or so and many of them ending up in my congressional office many of them have become uh you, you know students and writers and teachers and all these things you don't know and the bible teaches you can't even count the remnant. You don't know who's out there, and uh, that's that's the that's sort of the neat part about it. Because every once in a while, I bump into people, and they'll say, "You know, when I got some matter of fact, I think a couple have already mentioned that to me today. That uh, you helped me, you woke me up, and I, and actually, I'm a, I'm sort of amazed and a little embarrassed because what did I do? <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't do that much, uh, and and yet. People people had, and, and the other thing that always fascinated me, and I still don't understand it, because I talk economics, and budgets, and deficits, and inflation, and all, and they said, well, you changed the way I look at life, and they, they were. some people said, well, you know, I didn't even want to go to school, and then they end up, by the time I talked to them, they said, I'm in the third year of medical school, so I don't know how that works, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but. Some, sometimes it's, uh, it seems like a, uh, it's unusual, but uh, I thank people for that and I thank you for all the support m- so many of you have given us and so much uh, that you helped uh, help us at the Ron Paul Institute because uh, we really do believe that peace and prosperity is achievable to the best method possible of anything in human history by just accepting the importance of the individual and accepting the important issue that you can understand and you can strive for the truth and you don't have to accept any of the lying and and innuendos of the nihilists, because they don't believe in it. So uh, they don't believe it's possible, that it's, uh, that it's a physically and, and intellectually impossible to comprehend uh, something being good and right. And uh, that, of course, I think that's where the action is. And, uh, and instead of uh, saying, well, Ron, why didn't you do a better job? Why didn't you become buddies with Nancy Pelosi? And why didn't you do that? And you could have been banking chairman and gotten rid of the Fed no way no no way wouldn't have worked and i would have been miserable it would have lasted about one day (laughs) but i'll tell you what uh we did have a little inroads i feel like uh we have introduced the notion of and the fed and looking at the fed as well as anybody has and the whole thing was i essentially avoided washington i went to people like you and many that were, that were responding to that message, and they went to their congressman. It was sort of like the PTA, the parents going to the school board. That is, that is the real revolution. I want to you know, thank you all for coming today, and I thank you all for all the support you have given us, and uh, I hope we see you soon on the Liberty Report. Thank you.